Hey, everybody, welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing and all of our other podcasts over at blisterreview.com. And once again, we are broadcasting this episode from our home here in the Gunnison Valley of Colorado, where things are currently incredibly green and the trails are in fantastic shape. So you should probably start making some plans to come do some riding here in Gunnison and Crested Butte. Our guest today is the one and only Cam McCall, freeride legend, commentator extraordinaire, and mostly just an all-around really good guy. So I caught up with Cam this week to talk about what his life currently looks like and how similar or different things are for him at this point in time. Then we talk about some of the bike films that were the most influential and made the biggest impression on Cam. And then we talk about this new film from TGR that Cam's a part of called Accomplice, some of which was shot right here in our little corner of the world, Crested Butte. And you can watch the trailer for Accomplice in the show notes to this episode on our website. And you can check out the upcoming tour dates for Accomplice at tetongravity.com forward slash tours because Accomplice is going to be screened at a number of drive-in movie theaters around the USA this summer. But wait, there's more. Cam and I also talk about how he thinks about and prepares for riding big lines. We talk about his work as an events announcer and why there's actually a bigger responsibility behind the commentary than maybe it might seem like on the surface. And finally, I ask Cam which discipline he thinks that many of us might fail to really appreciate if we had to choose between slope style, DH, or big mountain riding, and in his characteristic form, Cam has a very interesting perspective on that question. So that is what we have on tap here for you today. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, let's get to my conversation with Cam McCall. Well, Cam McCall, how are you today and where are you today? Well, the how is very well, my friend. How about you? And the where is um, a, a very comfortable yet somewhat stuffy closet in the beautiful town of Bend, Oregon. Nice. Well, the Bend, the Bend part sounds nice. Yeah, this closet is, is nicer than it smells at this moment because <laughs> I've been in here for a couple hours already talking, but... I love wide open outdoor spaces just as much as I do sound deadened, strange spaces with microphones in them. So I can't complain. Sounds like you kind of spend a lot of your time in, in one or the other, the wide open space or the cramped, stuffy closet. This is a very, very <laughs> true statement. <laughs> so um, tell me about what life has been like for you. I think, you know, we've been kind of polling just a lot of people that we're talking to on these podcasts. And I, I think everybody in the world is in this, these COVID days are kind of like, how's everybody else doing and what are they doing? And does your life look worlds different right now than it, than it might otherwise in a given year? Or um, tell us about what you've been up to. Yeah. So I obviously first and foremost understand the magnitude of what's going on in the world for sure. And don't want to be not sensitive to that at all but but what this has given me was an is an experience to to do something that I haven't done ever since I started riding bikes for a living which was straight out of high school which is not travel I'm mm -hmm. I'm usually like spread so incredibly thin to the point where I I'm just always put too much on my plate and then things kind of suffer and what being locked down in Bend, Oregon has done for me was enabled me to really just focus back on like one thing, which is riding bikes for a living. And, uh, and it's, it's been a really positive experience for that. I've been able to spend more time with my family. I've got two daughters, six and three, hmm. and I'm always gone. And I don't realize, I didn't realize how hard it is 
to travel. I mean, I always knew it was challenging. I go through these experiences where I'm gone and then I come back and it's challenging. When you leave, the kids aren't happy about you leaving and you come back, you got to get back into the swing of things. Therefore, I wouldn't be you know, doing things that I would normally do as a professional bike rider because I'm just making sure that I get back to being dad. And then by the time I'm in the swing of things at home, it's off for the another trip. So all that to say, I've been enjoying having a reason to drop the anchor in Bend, Oregon. Um, and uh, it's been good for my productivity as a as a bike rider. Obviously, there's a few big bike events that I would normally commentate that are canceled that I won't be going to, mm-hmm. and a whole lot of shoots that are you know in different locations that have been canceled. But I feel like I've been able to make up for it by just producing my own content here, and uh, it's given nice balance, I'd say. Hmm. You know, one of the things that it's kind of been an interesting phenomenon in this time is um, just this current state of the bike industry, right? Where so many bikes have been purchased and a lot of shops are very short on bikes and manufacturers are short on bikes. And I, I guess I was just curious in asking you, you know, maybe this is one of the silver linings of this uh, very chaotic time that we're in right now. But I I keep wondering about this and, and I'd be curious to get your take. Just if we are getting, if people have been given a new excuse and a new reason to like be getting on bikes and whether we think this is just a trendy little thing in the moment or whether we think this might actually have some staying power. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've got to see a couple different sides of it and there's no denying that we're in a bike boom. That's like the term that everybody's using for it. And so I've gotten to see a couple different sides of it. One side is just locally here, right out my back door. I've got this little set of jumps. I've got like a little trail loop, basically a way to where I can just get outside and ride, even if I don't have time to go somewhere and ride. And I've done a ton of videos at my little spot on my YouTube channel and stuff, but I just had so much time at home. I started building more jumps and I built a bunch of jumps that would be more conducive to like kids learning how to jump and rollers. So my daughters can just like do lap after lap. And when the whole quarantine started, it was crazy. There was, Hmm. I counted every time I'd go up there, there was on average 12 people up there every time I went and of all different walks of life, you know, people who, ride bikes a lot and now they just have more time to do so people who probably haven't ridden their bike in years and they just dug dug it out of the garage brushed the cobwebs off and and now that's what they were doing every single day and i feel like it's going to be an interesting uh experiment here that we have on our hands to see how many people stick with it once Mm -hmm. they get back to business as usual and how many people um kind of just you know, forget about it and go back to the things that they would normally do. I feel like there's going to be like an evening out to where a lot of people will fall off, but some, you know, mountain biking is the type of thing where if you get hooked and it's for you, then there's no denying it. And that's how it was for me when I first started riding. So I feel like, you know, even if it's 30% of the people who got into riding because of quarantine, if they stick with it, it's going to have lasting effects on mountain bike communities, mountain bike industry, etc. So that's one side where I was able to kind of see something and it has fizzled off a little bit. I don't see as many people out there right now as there were in the peak of quarantine. But also I work really closely with Trek Bikes Mm -hmm. and since I've been home, not traveling so much and I've kind of been producing my own content, been able to work with them like, hey, what do you guys want to talk about right now? Let's make a video about it. And so when quarantine started, they're like, hey, let's get let's get a video explaining that we're doing home delivery right now. Hmm. So it went from like one week, let's make a video promoting the fact that we'll uh, allow people to order a bike online. We'll send it to their local shop. The shop will build it and then deliver it on the doorstep, clean it off, and then stand back and let you take your new bike. So as soon as we had delivered that message, it was like it didn't really matter because they were completely out of bikes until the next model year came in anyways. So that was really cool to see, except it was a bummer when I was trying to get a deal for my nephew on a bike because <laughs> he was he was getting hooked as well with all the time off. And they're like, yeah, we would love to give you a deal on a bike for your nephew, but we're out until 21, 2021's come in. So 
the people that want to get on a bike right now but can't, I hope they all just go to a garage sale and just get something. And then yeah. by the time things normalize and bikes are back, they just uh, are still excited and get a get a new one for themselves. Yeah. I, I kind of wonder too, like it, whether we might see some increase in terms of the number of like bike commuters, you know, like, so there's the mountain bike and trail riding on the one hand, but whether there might be some people who during this time, and we'll see how long this kind of pandemic lasts, right? But if they're like, yeah, maybe rather than cramming into an Uber or onto a crowded bus or whatever, or just, or just even driving, if we're going to see an uptick in bike commuting. Um, and it certainly seems like a lot of cities have made some nice steps along those lines just to improve the situation for commuters. I don't know. That's what's your, if you had to look into the crystal ball thoughts on that one. Yeah, I think it's such an efficient vehicle for transportation and it's healthy all across the board as if it weren't healthy enough already. Just just the exercise you get from riding a bike and being outside. Now, people wanting to avoid being on a crowded bus or subway, it's the perfect alternative. And and yeah, I definitely think when people, I mean, weather conditions permitting, once people get into the routine of traveling by bike, it's so much better for, for so many different reasons. I feel like that's going to be a large percent of the people who stick with it once things normalize and they're allowed to get back on the bus. They might just decide to stay on the bike because mm-hmm. it makes you feel good. You get to wherever you're going, and especially if that's work and you don't want to be there. You might as well arrive with a smile on your face. The bike mm-hmm. can do that. Yeah. We're going to be talking about this new film that you are a part of, Accomplice. But before we get there, I kind of wanted to talk to you for a minute about like bike films in general and kind of your relationship to bike films, um, you know, growing up and kind of throughout your career. Um, So first question, were you an avid watcher of bike films coming up? Like, obsessed it was it was like a problem it's like the only thing i could think about was getting my hands on whatever new mountain bike content there was videos was the first choice but if if you know there wasn't any new videos out which is the way it worked is you have to wait for something new to come out yeah then it was the magazine oh there's one of those guaranteed to come out every month i remember i was subscribed to mountain bike action which is still going strong today and it's pretty much the same magazine today as it was then it's like the perfect fisher price my first magazine subscription for the mountain biker and i was just i would sit on the porch waiting for the magazine to show up i knew it came like the middle of the month so we're around like 14th 15th of the month i'm just sitting there especially once i really got into bike riding and sometimes i was sitting there with my foot in a cast i was just when is that male person going to cruise up and give me that new magazine? And the type of riding that I like to do wasn't necessarily heavily represented in that magazine, but there's always a chance that there would be one shot in that mag of somebody in the air, mm. and I would just like digest every single aspect of that photo, what parts were on their bike, what they were wearing. And, uh, and so, yeah, using that to understand how obsessed I could be with a still image of mountain biking showing up in my mailbox... When new videos came out, I would lose my mind, and I'd usually get those at the bike shop. You'd be there to get a new derailleur hanger or something, and there would be the VHS or the DVD sitting on the counter. And I remember when I saw New World Disorder 1, the cover, Hmm. it was John Cowan doing uh, no-footed one-hander. So he's got both feet off and one hand up in the air. And the helmet he was wearing, the gear he was wearing, and just the appearance of the front of his bike, I thought for sure that was a motocross video. And I was like wow, that's cool. I got to get that because I'll watch motocross and then just try to emulate that on my mountain bike, which is what I was always doing anyways. Cause I kind of got hooked on the whole two wheels flying through the air thing. When <laughs> my dad took my brother and I to go watch, uh, summer X games in San Francisco in 1999. 99. So 99. So I look <laughs> at this picture of this guy, uh, and I think he's on a motorcycle. And so I get the video and when I pop it in, I realize he's on a mountain bike hmm. and all these riders are doing the th- things that I envision and what I would dream to do myself. And I had something to really sink my teeth into. And I was already really, really into like all the race videos that existed, like the sprung series and whatnot. And then evolution was actually like the most influential video on me, uh, growing up and getting into riding. And that was pretty much following 
guys like Kurt Voorhees through his World Cup race season, but also all the shenanigans and just recreation, fun riding they were doing in the pits and stuff like that. And so that was basically like early free ride to me. And that's what really got me hooked. And then when I saw, you know, I was aware of Cranked and everything like that and thought that was cool, but that's really emulating skiing kind of at the time. And so mm. when I found Neural Disorder, it had everything. It had the riders who were emulating skis on their bike, the riders who were emulating moto and BMX on their bike, and then everything in between. So from that moment on, the same anticipation I had for that MBA to show up in my mailbox was every year there's going to be a Neural Disorder coming out and I just couldn't be more excited about it. <laughs> okay, so kind of a two-part question I don't know if you just answered it, but what would you say is your favorite single bike film of all time? And then the related question, if it's not the same answer, which bike film do you think you've actually watched the most number of times? I don't think I will ever have watched a film more than I watched Evolution Okay. which is the one that I was just talking about. Yeah. And that was like the real hook for me. Yep. And that's the one that I had on VHS. So I, I there was like a, a physical way of proving how much I watched it, which was the fact that Kurt <laughs> Voorhees' segment was worn out. And so I, I think that's the one that I've watched the most to answer that part of the question. And then favorite, I really have a hard time with favorites because yeah. I just look at it from so many different perspectives. Like for this reason, I like this one. For that reason, I like that one. What did it mean to the sport? What did it mean to me and how it inspired me yep. as a whole? There's too many facets of that, but I will say that I'll, I'll just like create my own question just so I have an answer. <laughs> if you ask me which one that I've always shown people who don't know much about mountain biking to give them a good big picture idea of how great this sport is and how many different genres there are within it. I like to show people the film by the collective seasons hmm. because it followed a handful of different riders through an entire year and you get to see them, you know, training for things, uh, competing in things, filming. And, uh, and I felt like that gave a big picture because it showed all the different competitive genres and it showed what all the different parts of the year mean for those different riders and those different genres. Yeah. That's pretty good. Like if we had to, you know, pick one film and put it in like the Smithsonian, right? For like safekeeping for like, I don't know, whatever medium would exist 2000 years from now, you know, or something. If it was like what we want to sort of capture biking and mountain biking, that, that might be the call, the Smithsonian call. Yeah, I would give that one for like just an experience to like, because it's important if you love a sport and you're involved in it, it's important to represent it properly and give somebody an opportunity to have a good first impression to, p to potentially fall in love with it the way you did. So I think Seasons is the one for that. And then I think for the Smithsonian, though, I think the most timeless mountain bike film would be Life Cycles. I think Got that it. one can live on just from a cinematography standpoint, and, and it doesn't even matter how much the bikes have changed since then. When you watch that now, you're like, oh my gosh, their wheels are so small, their handlebars are so narrow. But for some reason, it doesn't really matter, you know? Like, it's still timeless now, and I think uh, it will last for a long time to come as well. Every film has its purpose, you know? New World Disorder, the series, was there to, to give a core sample of, in that moment of time, what was possible on these amazing vehicles, these vessels, and what terrain could they tackle and what could be done on that terrain? That's what that series existed for, you know? And, and uh, we've just touched on other ones like Seasons and Life Cycles. They rise to the top when you're categorizing them in a certain way. That, that's the long answer of why I can't give you one yeah. video as my favorite. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. You know, I asked... Uh, this conversation is making me think of another conversation I had with uh, a pro skier, um, Kate Zeliff. And we were talking a bit about the differences between doing photo shoots versus video shoots. They're not the same thing, right? And I guess I just am curious if you were like, ah, naturally, I kind of gravitate toward this medium. Obviously, you're really good at both. But um, what's your, what are your thoughts on that? It's so rad that you are asking me this because I was just thinking about it the other day and, and man, they are so different. And within them, there's so many different ways of tackling it. Yeah. So I feel like 
photography is the epitome of like uh, you know expressing the art of of a sport whatever action sport you're talking about it's that it's that one perfect moment and so much can go into um either accidentally snagging something that's that's amazing or planning for this ideal vision to come to fruition um i love working with a photographer who has a specific vision and i just say look explain to me that vision that sounds amazing what do i need to do so we can get that together and that's fun because you have a script you're not necessarily just riffing you're like i'm going to put myself there you have pressure especially if it's like a stunt or something i'm going to put myself there at that perfect time because the light's there and you're here pointing at it and we've already planned on this it's like it's already happened and we just have to go um you know shine the light on it you know Hmm. and and i love that from an artistic standpoint but i also just thought about this the other day is photography in that form isn't as honest as doing Hmm. a video (laughs) shoot and i and i think there's two different types of video shoots i think there's like the photography version of a video which is just a, a moving image but you're going for that same objective but then there's also more of a fly on the wall bts style of video and i feel like it's really fun just being real and honest and spending you know gosh so long only really working on like film segments where it's not so much about the writing it's about the artistic expression and maybe the athletic accomplishment but it's not really an honest representation of what that experience was like and I think mountain biking is all about the experience. You're you're uh, interacting with nature. You're interacting with your friends. That you choose to surround yourself when you when you do this activity. And I feel like a fly on the wall uh, camera that just happened to be there in an unscripted scene is uh, is a my favorite way to do it these days. Which is a new development, but you got to keep things fresh. Is uh, there aren't as many feature films going these days, and when they come along, it is so exciting to get back to doing what we as riders have always really put our focus on. But you know, there's a different medium now, which is you know, fly on the wall BTS style videos that don't necessarily have to change the world, but can you know, capture and showcase and experience and make people want to ride and give us you know. Uh, a way to tap back into the reasons why we started riding and uh and you know films are really hard because they are like trying to make a ton of perfect photographs for 45 minutes and they're so uh rewarding when it all comes together and it's edited properly and uh when they come along like i say we jump on them because the they cost so much money and they take so much time and they don't come out for like two years after the announcement was made that it's going to exist. And so uh, for me now, I've had to like supplement because I can't just sit around and wait for a film to come out for two years. So I'm doing weekly videos, but you know, I, I drop the weekly videos as soon as the opportunity for a big film segment comes along. And I feel like just personally, I need all of them. I need trips to go out and do a photo shoot, trips to go out and do a, a YouTube video, and then trips to just really... Um, really make something that will last in the form of a film segment. Good answer. Yeah. And that thing you said about just keeping it fresh, right? I mean, that it's, I always say like, it's the fun thing about getting to be alive another day is like, we just get a chance to discover something new or circle back on something that we haven't done in a while. And, and um, man, that's, that's kind of the good stuff, right? Circling back is a good way to put it, you know, like, uh, thinking about the video that we just talked about, Evolution, which is what really hooked me, that was f- like fly on the wall. It was a film, but it was like a documentation of, of a year, and there was action segments and stuff like that. But that's the videos that all of us young kids were trying to make ourselves. And then we got into the films, into watching them, it, actually being in them. And uh, like like you said, is you got to circle back because there's a reason you like to do it the, the old way, and there's a reason why the you know, the, the polished segment version is going to be more timeless if executed properly. But yeah, the thing we were talking about with photos too, is like, you can totally pose a photo and, and it's not actually what the writing felt like or was even, you know? Mm -hmm. And so photography 
it can be more than mountain biking. It can be just a way to create a beautiful image that doesn't even actually represent bike riding. But if you do too much of that and you're only going on trips with photographers who want to, you know, stage a bunch of stuff, then you, you feel like a, a mountain biking puppet or mm-hmm. a statue. And you got to, the moral of the story is you got to do it all and keep it fresh. Hmm. Circle back. Circle back. Let's talk a little bit about this new film, Accomplice. Um, what's the backstory there from your point of view? When did you first start hearing about this? When did you get hit up about it? Oh man. It's, it's like, it's a crazy story and I'll, I'll tell it with, with the, um, (laughs) with brevity in mind, (laughs) trying to, trying to be succinct about it. (laughs) The crazier it is, the less I want you to be brief. So take, (laughs) take your time here. Well, it's just, uh, TGR wanted to do another mountain bike film. They did Unreal, which is a collaboration yeah. between TGR and Ant Hill, and that was such a great film, and it was yeah. so fun to be a part of that one. And then TGR wanted to do another bike film, and it wasn't going to be with Ant Hill, so they were looking for another uh, somebody to be the director of that. And, um, and they were going to work with Ryan Gibb, who did Life Cycles. He and Derek Frankowski did Life Cycles, which came out in like 2009, and we mentioned that a little bit earlier. And there was a full film treatment put together for that. And uh, one of the things that made Life Cycles so impactful and so timeless is the fact that they they valued their time in production just as much as the production budget to be able to execute their goal as precisely as possible. And and with this one, they wanted to be Gib wanted to be able to do that too. And he was in pre-production for a long time. And obviously, there's things that go on behind the scenes with attempting to get a film funded and stuff like that. Like it's so complicated to make these feature films. That's why you see them less now. Plus distribution model has evolved and changed, but push came to shove and Gibbs like, there's no way I can do this film exactly the way I want to do it and meet that deadline. So they amicably split and TGR goes, Oh my God, well, we got to get a mountain bike film done stat. Um, Conveniently, Jeremy Grant, who, used to work for Freeride Entertainment and, and and now he will, you know, when Freeride Entertainment brings back more projects and stuff like that, he'll still work with Freeride Entertainment. But he was just put on, um, he was, he had the ability to take other jobs and be freelance. And this timing all happened like in such a crazy way to where as soon as Gibb and TGR kind of fell apart, uh, Jeremy Grant was available and they found out about it. They hit him up and he's like, all right, let's do this. And they're like, all right, cool. Well, can you put together a treatment like now? And he came up with something <laughs> and and he just hit the ground running and started shooting right away. Um, so with the Gibb film, it was like a scripted thing. Like there was, there was a lot going on. And he asked me a long, long time ago if I would be down to take on what he called like the lead role because there's like a little bit of acting and stuff like that to yeah. execute the storyline that he had. And so when that went apart, I was like, well, all right, well, hopefully I'll still be able to be a part of this film. And then when I found out it was Jeremy Grant, I'm like, sick, I've worked with Jeremy so much. Maybe he'll give me a call. And he did. He hit me up. And one thing I was really trying to get included into um, Gibbs film was doing a segment with my brother in Utah because my Mm -hmm. brother lives out where, where Rampage takes place. And so Jeremy hits me up and he goes, hey, I got this segment concept for you and your brother. And I'm like, this is so perfect. This is like exactly what I was most excited about with the Gibb film is shooting a Utah segment with my brother. We were able to do that, you know, in a completely different way um, with a concept that Jeremy dreamt up that plays toward the overall theme of Accomplice. And, uh, and you know, it was an excuse to go film with my brother, which we're always sifting for. And just the way that Jeremy curated the concept and edited it with old footage of us when we were kids was insane. And, uh, yeah, hopefully people like the segment. I think it's a, I think it's a really good segment, but for us, it's like just a really wild experience to be able to see like this big picture view of ourselves as brothers and what bike riding has meant to us. And it's like, it's remarkable that we're still into it the way we are. And, uh, and every segment concept of accomplice has that, has that little um, hook to it, you know? They're all different, but they all come back to the overarching theme, which when you see the movie, you'll understand what it is. But um, I think he did a really fantastic job. I haven't seen the whole film yet, but with coming up with a, a concept on such short notice and then just basically doing, dropping everything and making it happen. He was 
gone so much to shoot this film. He was out in India. He was he was on the majority of the shoots, and he's also you know dealing with everything else and editing it, and and so yeah, I can't wait to see it. We were supposed to have the world premiere here in Bend, Oregon, mm. a couple months ago before COVID hit, um, but that got canceled. So drum roll, we're gonna get to all hopefully see it and drive through drive in theaters pretty soon. Right, right. How often, let's say in the last year or two, do you get to ride with your brother? Not that often. Um, usually the the reason we get to ride together is if there's an event like a like a fest series event or something and we're both there like there's usually black sage fest which takes place here where i live and then uh i mean if i go out to utah now that he's living there if i find a you know if i have a reason to go out there then we'll be riding together a lot we travel together on the crankwork series and we commentate the slope style events together but when we're there i'm busy hosting all the events he's busy competing and mm-hmm. and commentating so it's it's super rare that we get a chance to ride together and it's even more rare that we get a chance to do a film segment together we don't have that many similar sponsors right now like marzoki is one that we have and so we're hoping we can do a project for them at some point this year but yeah it was like something that we both want to do so badly which is ride that train and ride it together and uh yeah this film concept gave us the opportunity to do that that's pretty great. I got to ask, and you're you're welcome to, you know, give me shit for even asking this, but uh, when you are, say, coming from Bend, you're coming from home, and you're going to go meet your brother in Utah to ride bikes, to what extent does this feel like, okay, time to buckle up? Utah's got some big lines, right? And I take it that the stuff that you're normally riding around Bend, maybe not quite as big. And so on the one hand, the part where you're welcome to, you know, slap me is if you're like, hey, man, this isn't my first rodeo. I've been doing this a real long time. But I'm just curious. I mean, when you guys meet up, are you standing on stuff like, oh, boy, or does it all does it all feel pretty good pretty quick to you? Well, truthfully, that location feels like more of a home riding spot yeah. than Ben does for me. I've lived in Bend <laughs> for less than six years and we grew up in Santa Cruz, California, and we started going out to Virgin Utah in 2003 when I was 17 and I tried to do my first rampage. And so our relationship with that spot is a crazy one. Uh, we went out there, road tripped with the whole family. Mom and dad drove us out there, which is crazy because I remember the first time my dad saw footage of that event. He's like, yeah, you guys hopefully uh, should never do that. <laughs> That's not a good idea. And uh, But I got the invitation and like, oh, I'm 17. Yeah, I'd right off the roof of my high school. Sure. How much different could this be? Let's go. And uh, I got super humbled to have this crazy crash. My brother was filming the crash with our old little VX2000 mini DV camera. And I got lucky not getting hurt. And I just went, all right, (laughs) tried it. It's not for me. This is not my type of riding. Never coming back here again. And my brother was even one step further. He's like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. (laughs) Anybody who does rampage is stupid. I will never be that stupid. I don't ever want to be here again. And I sure as heck never want to ride that event. Now you fast forward 17 years later, not only does he do the event every year, but he bought a house out there and he lives there full time, you know? So to answer the question of what it's like to go out there, it's like, it feels more at home than Ben does. I love the fact that we've got a lot of a lot of different types of riding here in Bend, and it's a great place to 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 home base yourself because you can get a little bit of anything. I've got some mm-hmm. hidden secret zones that I can drive to out here that are desert train. We've got the fest jumps, which are big jumps that are just a 45-minute drive away. We've got Mount Bachelor, which is lift access, and then just more miles of single track than you could ever know what to do with, and a bunch of public jump parks so there's all the stuff you need to keep your skills fresh for when you do get out to utah get back to where you know where where i'm familiar with and uh and i honestly feel like i'm more prepared these days if i'm riding in bend and i go out to utah than i was when i was living in santa cruz and go out to utah because uh santa cruz we were doing a lot of dirt jumping a lot of like uh you know, really loamy, rainforesty type um, trail riding, 
But here I'm riding like, you know, a lot of rocks and, and, uh, volcanic desert terrain and, and, uh, you know, just accepting the fact that your tires are going to drift on loose dirt, it's easier to be ready to go out to Utah living here than it was in Santa Cruz. But, you know, the location aside, riding with my brother is a very singular experience that I don't get with anybody else because we have been riding with each other for our entire lives and our backgrounds are similar enough to the point where when we're riding, it's like, I don't know, I think it inspires a lot more confidence than if I were riding with somebody else. There's all these little subliminal things that go go on, you know, oh, he did that. Well, he's my brother. I can do that. And, and, oh, one thing that happened when we were filming is every time we had to like guinea pig a feature, it was like, well, we both know our own strengths, but we both know each other's strengths so well. So if it came time to guinea pig, a blind drop, step down type feature, it's like, well, that is Ty's forte. It's what he does at Rampage every year. And so he takes that one first and then boom, then I'll go after. And then if it's like a long jump, for whatever reason, that's always been something that I'm super comfortable with, these long gaps. And so I'll guinea pig it and then he'll know it works. And I think we uplift each other a lot when we get a chance to ride together, especially in the context of filming uh, you know, a film segment on our big bikes in big mountain terrain. It's the big mountain terrain, regardless of who you're riding with, it's the place where you go to take every single skill you've ever accumulated in your entire life and put it to work uh, all at once from top to bottom of a rampage line. It could be 45 seconds or something like that. But in that small window of time, you use everything either consciously or unconsciously to be able to put your tires in the right place and do what you pictured in your head. It's a crazy place. It just, it demands the most out of you and it makes you better. (laughs) Or it makes you want to just, back the bike up and and, and go yeah. a different way. I think that would be more fight my or flight. Yeah, fighter exactly, fight or flight. Oh, don't get me wrong. I've I've flighted plenty of times from there. Like now I love it and I'm comfortable with it and I go out there every opportunity, but there were so many times filming for New World Disorder and all these different things where I'd be out there and God, I'm in over my head. I built something and I just want to get out of here. I've turned away from so many things out there, but then I always go back and try to nail it because it's those things that when you're in the shower, you're thinking about and you're like, I think I'm ready now. And you go out there and you stand on it again. You're like, oh, I'm not ready now. Like, oh, it's a roller coaster out there. I've backed away from just as many things as I've landed for sure. By the way, I want to ask you when you're talking about riding with Tyler and you're talking about guinea pig and stuff, how much on these moves is like you're just simply watching him hit something and he's watching you hit something and he's like, oh, I see, got it. Versus one of you hitting something and coming back with very specific beta, you know? No, the whole process is actually insanely collaborative. If he's getting ready to hit something, I'm standing from a vantage point where I can watch his speed check And when he hits the brakes, I imagine he didn't hit the brakes and what his speed would have done if he just continued off and where that speed would have put him. And through enough years of riding, even friends that we have that don't hit huge step downs, we have some friends that we would trust our lives with if they're standing perpendicularly from a big gap and they just watch you come in. Like, am I too fast? Am I too slow? They're like, you'd be like four bike lengths down. You need to tap a brake. We have friends that we would completely trust, like our buddy Alex Ravellis, who he used to be on my dig crew when I did rampage and he's been on Tyler's dig crew every single, uh, year he's done rampage since I stopped doing it. And, uh, he's always, he's always right there. His advice is always right there. And when you have enough years, he's a guy we grew up with riding with in Aptos. When you have enough years of experience of, of trusting somebody like that, um, it, it's powerful. And so if me and my brother are guinea pigging something together, then it's not just, Oh, that's a drop tie. Go hit it. I'll help him with his speed checks. And then the same thing goes for if I'm guinea pigging a long jump, he'll help me with my speed checks. And, and then once you jump it, then you share the beta. And then usually you ask if the other rider wants to train you in, or if they just want to hit it mm-hmm. for themselves with a the clear view in front of them. All these little little pieces of the process. Yeah, I guess, and maybe that was a bit of a dumb question, but I guess what I was mostly just trying to get at was how much of this is just the visual 
right? Like, nah, I get to I get to watch Tyler hit something and I can make my assessment just off watching him as opposed to there being a bunch of verbal back and forth. Like, you know, that's, I guess, was the the kind of no, primary. No, it wasn't mode. a dumb question at all. Like there is, there is that element too. It's like, like you see somebody do something and all the, you know, bad things that could happen that you envisioned didn't happen right away. You don't even need to hear anything. There's those instances as well where you just go, okay, I get it. I'll go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Interesting, man. Um, yeah, it's wild. I mean, all you guys stepping up to hit that stuff. I mean, specifically like at rampage venues, but anybody hitting any big stuff is just, um, the level of commitment, the level of trust that you just talked really well about, uh, among the crew. Um, it's, still just freaking remarkable to me. Um, well, the cool thing is it's, it's like, it, it seems unattainable for people, but it really is the same process. It's mm-hmm. always been for anybody. The first time they rode off a curb yep. or the fi- first time they hit a big rampage sender, it's the same stuff you're going through. Your brain is telling you the same things and, and you're tapping into whatever resources of experience you have. It doesn't really change the scale of what you're about to hit. That's why I think, that's where I hope I should say Rampage can be relatable to people when they watch because yes, a lot of people say, oh, Rampage, I don't even watch it because it's un- it's not relatable and and that's just like watching a cartoon or something like that. Those aren't even real people. Um, that's not the right headspace to be in when you're watching that competition. I, I like to try to encourage people to put themselves in the rider's shoes and be like, all right, this is just like me at my local trail hitting that more difficult option that I've been looking at for years and haven't actually done. Let me watch their process and get inspired by it. And then maybe next time when I go to that trail, I might, you know, find that courage as well to hit it or, or maybe not, maybe it'll take another two years, but that's, what's fun about mountain biking is there's, you've never mastered it. There's always another challenge that you're, you're daydreaming about. Yep. Yeah. I want to talk a bit about your work as an announcer. Okay. So what are the current events that, I mean, I know we've got cancellations and stuff like that going on, but right now, kind of in your stable, how many different events are we generally talking about in a given year, unless something gets weird? Yeah. So the whole Crankwork series, so that uh, fluctuates year to year, however many events they have on the tour. For the last couple of years, it's been three events for that and then I also started doing uh, Winter X Games, just live on site through the PA to the spectators there. I've done that for three years now. So that happens first. And then Rotorua Crankworks. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then yes, yeah, I mean, when I started doing it, there were more events as well. I was doing uh, Colorado Freeride Festival. And, uh, and then we do Whistler or Innsbruck first, then Whistler, and then Rampage. And little things have popped up um, in different years. There's different events going on um but it doesn't sound like a ton but like a crankworks event once i started hosting rather than doing the color commentary the sport analyst role there was there's like i don't know there's some obscene amount of events per <laughs> per crankworks festival so it's like so busy and like so mentally taxing because you're like okay cool well what's the let me remind myself what the storyline was for the world tour overall points and pump track and mm-hmm. who's who's like good in pump track right now what's the stories and uh you know all these different things that i maybe normally wouldn't pay a ton of attention to i i go all right well i better like dig just dig myself into learning about all these and there's new riders that pop up and stuff like that too and uh it's actually cool because I get to force myself into paying attention to all these different facets of mountain biking that I, I probably wouldn't pay attention to on my own. And it really allows me to just like, to recognize how much I love this sport in all its different forms. And yeah, sometimes it's really hard to just make sure that I'm going to say the right thing about, you know, air downhill. Um, but you know, I find that I'm like, digging deeper into the little subtleties and intricacies of, of racing. Whereas like when I raced, I was like only really doing it because there wasn't free ride and slope style and jump contests yet. I'm like, <laughs> I want to compete. And there's like people standing alongside the course. I'm going to do a no hander while I'm racing. So 
having to like really pay attention to what it's like to be a competitor in all these dis- different disciplines and then you dig for what the storylines are, who's pitted up against who and what that means, what history they have. Like if you're a fan of just sport in general, it's a really fun position to be in and uh, and I do enjoy it a lot. It is super challenging because it takes up a lot of time and sometimes I'm not being as productive with content as I should be because I'm like researching, you know, storylines. Hey, how many times has Thomas Slavic won pump track? How many world championships does he have? Oh, he was king of crankworks. What year was that? 2017. Okay, cool. Remember that, you know, and so it takes up a lot of time. Um, and that's kind of why it's, this has been such a different year for a lot of events being canceled. Um, but you know, it all balances out, like you said earlier, you know, balance and then things circle back. We'll get back into doing events here in a little bit and I'll be able to get back into the swing of things right now, just making the most of it and not talking about about mountain biking more than I'm doing it Hmm. has been pretty rad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, fair. I'm curious. I mean, talking about like all the research you do in advance of these events, is there one of the events or disciplines where you would say, again, because you're in this good position where you, you're you going and learning all this stuff, right? And you're spending more time learning the backstories and getting clear on this more than a lot of us are. Is there a specific event or discipline where you're like, yo, you guys don't even know right now. Like this is either, this is such an interesting rivalry or so many of these riders have such interesting backstories. Is there anyone that kind of jumps out like that where you think like, we all just need to kind of be paying more attention to what's going on here. I think slope style is really a hard discipline to effectively convey to an audience. There's the core that gets it. um, Even if you don't hand feed it to them. But uh, I mean, that's slope. Wanting to tell the story of a slope style competition is, is really the reason why I got into commentating so I knew I knew that I wanted to be done competing, but I knew that I wanted to help tell the story of this sport, and uh, and that's the the biggest challenge. Uh, it is it's the biggest broadcast when we do a Crankworks uh, festival, and so it's getting the most views, anyways. But I still feel like a lot of people can't relate to it, which is totally fine. But but making sure that everybody knows how hard it is for these people to get to the point where they are and and they only have two chances and how much is on the line for them a lot of the other disciplines if somebody has a bad race well there's a lot of consequence if it's a contract year or something they may not be doing this for a living next year if they don't get a good result right now but in slope style even if everything's going good and their riding is great if they lose points uh, even if they keep their sponsors, they're off tour. And then it's only a matter of time before they lose all their sponsors if slope style is the only thing that they do. So it is so volatile um, in so many different ways. And for that reason, I think it's really entertaining to watch because there's so much on the line with every trick, but there's so much on the line for all these young riders who are trying to make a career out of it. And it is such a hard way to make a career. And it's, it's, it, these guys don't get to go out and like have a fun bike ride. Like, like most of us do, if they're out on their trail bike, just enjoying mountain biking, there's a lot of times where they feel like they should be in the foam pit or the airbag or something like that. And it's, you know, it's really, uh, it's a real tough path. And, and when that moment comes where it's now or never, and they drop in, I want everybody to feel the way I feel where I'm like, I can't, I can't imagine what they're going to try right now. And I hope they land it. Um, and the storylines are nuts. And so to answer that question, yeah, slope style is the one where it's like, you guys got to pay attention to how crazy this is. Hmm. So that's really interesting. I mean, you're, if I'm correct me, if I got you wrong, but there with slope style, it's just like how much is on the line here and how much dedication it takes for these riders to get up there and do what they're doing. But a slightly different question, I guess, and I really like this. I hadn't just thought much about this, but like in a way, your job is there to convey to this entire audience, like, do you see what's happening here and those backstories? I mean, that actually, I hadn't really thought about this before, but there's actually a much bigger kind of responsibility associated with that role than simply like talking us through a run, right? It's like, 
you have to translate a lot of what's happening. Yeah, it's like give people a reason to care. Um, the crew that I get to work with for this, they're so rad. Like TJ Walker, um, he owns Boombox, which is the company that does all the broadcasts for Crankworks. And he's been such a huge help for me just learning. Like I went into it knowing what I wanted to accomplish and like the role I wanted to fill. You know, there's a lot of people who are just aren't going to care. That's fine. But for the people who are on the fringe of maybe being a fan of Slopestyle, maybe not. I feel like there's so much to gain. I feel like people could get into mountain biking because they're watching these stories and, and that could be the gateway, you know, the shiny object of Slopestyle could be the gateway for them to watch the downhill race. And then that could be the gateway to watch the enduro race. And then maybe they get a trail, but like, there's just the, the flashiness is like the lure at the end of the fishing line, you know, and that's Slopestyle. And it can draw a lot of people into mountain biking. But also the second objective is just like giving credit to these riders who are putting so much into it. And it's, it's so hard. So yeah, it is like, um, it's the big picture of what the motivation to do it uh, is, is is that and uh there's there's consequences if you do it wrong if you don't do somebody justice and uh you know you didn't know your history or something Mm -hmm. like that you know so it's like you got to be on your toes and Mm -hmm. i definitely don't take it lightly i like really love the opportunity that i have to do this and it's a responsibility, like you say, for sure. But luckily, I get to share the responsibility on the slope style side with my brother, who, when I was the sport analyst, the person I worried about most, if I said something wrong, would be him. <laughs> him calling <laughs> you out. <laughs> and so now I got him right next to me calling the tricks because he's got this insane ability to tell, to memorize what foot everybody has forward and what's opposite, what's regular, what people are working on and stuff like that, which it's, yeah, it's nice to have him in the booth. Huh. Very subjective question here, but... If you had to guess, which discipline do you think people fail the most to really appreciate the skill set involved in what they're watching? So let's say maybe we limit this right now to like slope style DH and big mountain stuff like Rampage. Yeah, it'd have to be Rampage. You're like, people, you just don't, you just don't, you can see it, you can watch it on your screen, but unless you're up there, you, you do not get what, what's happening. I'm biased for sure, because that's, that's what I would say, you know, World Cup downhill is insane. And I've been to my fair share of World Cup downhills and seen what goes into that. I, it's Formula One. It's insane. Yeah. Um, and those are the best bike handlers on the planet. But I do also think that when you bring a World Cup downhiller to Rampage to come watch the event, it's different than what they expected. And they're the best of the best. Mm-hmm. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly wasn't sure if you, I thought you would say either Big Mountain or Slope. Because, um, I mean, the Slope guys, I just, like, they look like, it's like Peter Pan. It's like magic. Like, I don't, I can't, like you said, I can't even process sometimes like what's happening. Whereas with big mountain events like Rampage, it's sometimes like, well, you can see it and just level, dial up the fear factor far more than you can imagine if you're just watching it on a screen. But um, anyway, so it's interesting though, that you still think you would, you would take big mountain is still what we're probably, many of us are failing to appreciate just in terms of the skill set. I think if you're at a slopestyle contest and you watch it, it's a similar experience to watching the broadcast on your screen. And Got it. And it's our job to, you know, do what a good commentator would do at a gymnastics event is explain like what this move means in the big picture of this sport as a whole and the historical significance of this run. And it's all like real inside knowledge and that's where we can hold hands. But with Rampage, it's so much a case of you have to see it to believe it. You have to see it to even understand the scale. And and I always say this, even for riders who do Rampage, you'll you'll leave the venue. And if you don't go back to, to Virgin until the next year, when you show up to, to <laughs> scout your line for the next year, a lot of times people will show up and be like, all right, I've been riding a lot. I'm going to go to the top of that drop and it's going to look smaller now because that's how the world works. You ride, you get more skills, you look at something, you go, all right, I'm better suited to this now than I was then. But you stand up on it and it's still, 
still stupid big. You're like, what? How? Come on, I've been riding so much. It's just like, and and if if it looks big on TV, it's way bigger in person. And if it doesn't look big from the parking lot, we'll hike up and stand there. And and it's it might take a day too if somebody goes as a spectator and go, oh, I've heard people tell me so many years that it's bigger than you would think. And I got here, I was expected to be so big. It's just normal. Just give it two days. <laughs> And, and, and like the reality sets in and especially like even as a rider, if you're out there scouting on your feet and you pick something that you, that you think you want to do, you spend a lot of time building it. As soon as you get on your bike and you're like, what, what's the, what's the height of a bottom bracket? You know, you're like eight inches higher or whatever it would be (laughs) foot higher. You're like, (laughs) Oh God, that's the eight (laughs) inches that I did not need to be any higher. My eyeballs need to not be this far away from the ground and uh-huh. the landing. <laughs> oh man. I've yet to make it to the venue in person and it is very high on my list of uh of things to do uh in this world. So what by the way, what do we what do we know about for this year? I mean, I, I take it everybody's still playing things by ear or Yeah. I mean, good timing is I I always wonder no, I think it's out there, right? It's out there on the internet. They're talking about how it's still being planned for right now. But like I told you when we first got on the calls, I just finished doing that voiceover for yeah. the best of Red Bull Signature Series Rampage. So we did uh, all the years from 2012 to 2019, best of, top couple runs. And uh, at the end of the call, it's like, all right, everybody, we're still good to go. Like things are mm. looking good for end of October, Rampage. And... Uh, you know, uh, I'm not sure how much I'm supposed to say, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I think they said uh, just they're looking at doing the event but without spectators, mm-hmm. uh, which I, f- I feel like an empty NASCAR race track without spectators, it's like you notice I'm not there. It's kind of weird. But it's almost weirder to have spectators in the desert, especially if you go out there and film over the years. Like that experience of being out there and it's just a bike, uh, some people and, and the desert, that's more true to what the riding is is at its core out there. So yeah. to not have spectators, I feel like for any event, it's more suitable and acceptable to not have spectators at Rampage. And if that's the way to make this event happen and not skip a year, then sounds good. Hell yeah. Yeah. No, it's really interesting. And man, all these all these different sports trying to figure out what they're going to do right now um, in terms of events and spectators and the rest. But yeah, that would be... Um, I think if we have to go no spectators for a year, um, fine by me as far as I'm concerned. And and I think you just spoke well to, that's a cool thing, right? Especially like guys doing hugely consequential stuff. Like if that kind of feels like it will be kind of natural as opposed to wildly unnatural, then maybe even all the better. Yeah, I think it'll it'll be more about the vibe of, all the people out there yeah. who sweated for it. Yep. And don't get me wrong, like I love big crowds and I know a lot of other riders out there, a lot of the riders that compete love to do it for the crowd. That for me when I competed, that was definitely like my main reason for getting into it is I just thought it'd be so cool <laughs> to ride in front of people and hear them cheer and like there's no substitute for that adrenaline when people cheer for you. But for the Rampage riders who have a long history of going out there and filming, uh, you you uh I think it'll be familiar territory for them and it'll be a cool experiment and, and a way to just make sure it doesn't get canceled. Sounds great. Well, Cam, this has been super fun. Um, great to connect. And um, yeah, I've been a big fan for a long time. And, and it's, it's so cool when you can talk to somebody who can talk so well about riding at a high level and then talk so well about all the filming stuff, and then talk about what it's like to have to do the commentary on some of these different events. And so um, I've learned a lot, and uh, I really appreciate the insight. And uh, keep on keep on doing real cool stuff. Well, thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it, and thanks for the kind words. And, yeah, I guess all I could say is I was obsessed with it when I first found it, mountain biking, mm-hmm. and I'm still obsessed with it. And that's, I guess, the reason why I have all these things to talk about. So <laughs> so thanks for asking all the right questions. <laughs> yeah, man. And uh, here's hoping that uh, we do all get to go see Accomplice at a – drive-in theater, hopefully in our respective neck of the woods, but um, it'll be cool to have this film come out and and then you and I actually get to see the whole thing, which I guess neither of us have had the chance yet. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, I've, I've seen some of your stuff, 
um, but I haven't seen the whole film, and so uh, we're all we're all waiting on the surprise. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm just as excited as everybody else out there. So as soon as that uh, tour schedule of drive-in theaters is released, we're uh, we're gonna be pulling up the truck. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Cam, take care. Um, Look forward to doing this again sometime down the line. And uh, yeah, good luck with everything. Thank you. You too. All right, man. That's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. Thanks to Cam for the conversation. And be sure to check out the trailer for the new TGR film, Accomplice, in the show notes to this episode. And head over to tetongravity.com forward slash tours to see if the film might be showing up this summer at a drive-in theater near you. Finally, I want to say thanks to Jared Farley for producing this episode. And until next time, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again next week.